When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good afternoon, everybody. It is Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope everyone's having a great day. I, uh, here in Chicago, had to deal with a little bit of a storm watch, storm weather system come in, but now it's all the way up to 40 degrees, so whatever landed last night in terms of snow is going to melt, so it should be a fun day as I venture out. But before I do, we have a new guest on the New Music Spotlight, hailing from Long Beach, California, from the band of Limbo. We have Jake Davies. What's going on, Jake? Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Thanks a lot for doing this. I appreciate it very much. Been into you guys now for a while. Love the music. Love the tunes. And happy that you're on the New Music Spotlight. Well, thanks very much for having me, Jay. I'm uh, happy to be here, buddy. The first question to a new guest is always the same, and that is the essence of the show. Just like every great rock song that has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a band, an album, a song, or a performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Ooh, a moment that hooked me on rock and roll. You know what? I, I, there's so many that I can uh, tough to pick one, but I mean, I was absolutely obsessed with Nirvana as a kid and then that obsession moved into a, an obsession with Alice in Chains. Um, the one that's really just sticking out in my mind right now was hearing Wood by Alice in Chains for the first time when I was probably like, I don't know, maybe nine years old in Australia and it was on the top ten and it was on at the same time as I'm pretty sure Sir mixed a lot. I like Big Butt which I also loved a hell of a lot at the time. But Wood came on, and I had to grab a tape, and I managed to record, like, half of the song off the radio and uh, just kept playing that chorus over and over again until I wore that tape out because I absolutely loved that song and love it to, love it to this day just as much as I did when I was a little kid. I remember that song. I believe it was on a soundtrack for the movie called Singles. And You're absolutely right. Yeah. It was. It was such a haunting song and something that was so different. You know, obviously Nirvana and Pearl Jam were rising uh, in popularity. There was still kind of the 80s rock that was still in existence in the early 90s. And then there's this song, this haunting song by Alice in Chains that you mentioned that just, you know, resonated with so many people at that moment 
because it was still very metal, but it was still, but it was, it was a different type of influence in different type of style. Yeah. I, I really feel like they're, they're the true grunge band as far as like what that word sounds like or what kind of paint uh, picture it paints in your head. As you said, haunting is absolutely the word, but yeah, I just got that sort of, that dark sludge to it that, I don't know, it's like a sickly green heroin kind of vibe or something. And it has all that sludginess as it starts and then boom, it just bangs into the most massive chorus ever. Prince Daly did nobody else like him on his vocals. Yeah, so where did it go from there? So you heard this song, you know, Wood by Alice in Chains. How, you know, where where did the evolution come from with you to hearing that song, then to, you know, wanting to perform? I mean, you're the singer and the rhythm guitar player. You know, was there another moment where, like, you heard a song that connected to you that you wanted to perform live, that you wanted to write music? Well, from uh, from the Allison Chain standpoint, we never, uh, I mean, we as a band have now covered a couple of Allison Chain songs just, uh, when we play our, our local Long Beach area, but we have like long assets at the bar around the corner, B room or out bar, we'll sometimes throw in a couple of and chain songs if it's a really long set. But the kind of songs that uh, got me going as trying to play music myself when I was a kid was actually not ever out and Chains. It was um, playing Metallica a lot. Um, when I was in a little high school band, We'd, uh, we played Understand Man and, uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls and, and jams like that at our school fairs. So Metallica was a huge, huge start for me as far as learning command over how to actually just write and play music in general because, yeah, that was, that was a real, a real beginner for me. Now, as you grew as an artist, you know, started developing your own music. Where and what influences do you draw from when you're writing music? Um, well, you know, for us, uh, we, we have a very eclectic taste in music across the board. We try and make every song have its own its own color and vibe rather than ever repeating ourselves because, I don't know, it's just something more attractive to me about being a bit of a chameleon band and never playing the same the same song twice on an album, etc. Um, where did it all where did it all really come from? You know, the best way to answer that I guess is that it all really starts from the riff with us. Um, besides the song, our new song, our new single Nothing But Now, I would say that every song we've got always starts with the guitar riff and then from there it sort of stems into building all what would the drum beat be for that guitar riff all what other guitar riffs do we have that matches that okay and then what kind of melody fits that and then we fit lyrics to the melody so it's almost you know or, organically forms itself uh, from the bass clay always being the guitar riff influences wise I mean it's, yeah, it's, it's across the board it's like everything from Alice and Change to more poppy 80s kind of stuff like NXS, Talking Head, Jesus, I mean, Luke listens to classic jazz like Finger Reinhardt, like it, it goes it goes everywhere. I, I like, I even like Michael Bubble, I call him Michael Bubble because I think it's funnier than Dude Play. <laughs> I like Bubble, I like, fuck it, 
I like all of it. Drugs dropped everywhere. I mean, Faith No More would be one of my one of my biggest of all time. I would say they're another they're another chameleon band that I would aspire to have as much diversity in sound as. I discovered you guys because Joyous Wolf put, uh, posted a, a a song by you guys in one of their playlists on YouTube, and right. yeah, and I and I know you guys are from the same area, and I've had Nick Reese on the show previously. One of the things that is similar for you guys, you guys are different bands, but you guys are similar in that your sound is hard to find, to, to, to define. Whereas, you know, what I mean by that, you know, when you hear a new rock band, you say, oh, they sound like this band or a cross between this band. You guys both are able to merge three decades and possibly more, probably four decades with the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s together and really put forth a unique sound that is different. And, and I, and I, thank you very much. Oh, absolutely. Cause I, I, I mean, you guys don't sound the same, but you hear elements of, you know, the sixties and seventies rock, you know, the blues based rock, you hear the eighties, you know, the hook of the eighties and stuff like that. And then the nineties, you have that, you know, that dirty grungy feel to it as well. And it's just amazing that you guys are able to do that because it's very unique to what's coming out today. You know, there's a lot of bands that are blues-based, and they're all great bands, as you guys are too. But it's just a different take, and it's a different perspective, and I really do appreciate that. Well, I really appreciate you saying that, Jay. Um, our, our new mission statement that we've been uh, putting on the website and the bio and everything is uh, of Limbo, the sound of rock future, not its past. And that pretty much sums it up for us at the moment, which is that, uh, I never like to disparage other bands too much because everybody's out here trying to do what makes them happy. And uh, if they're finding success in any kind of sound in the rock world, more power to them. But I, I do find that there are a lot of bands at the moment that I would call counterfeit bands. And that they're essentially putting forward a carbon copy of another specific band that I could name here or there. And, you know... Like, if I wanted to listen to Aerosmith, I would listen to Aerosmith. If I wanted to listen to Led Zeppelin, I'd listen to Led Zeppelin. So I don't really see a lot of benefit um, in creating music that is such a carbon copy of some, like, attempting to literally sound like another band that's come before you because, you know, you're not going to sound as good as them, most likely. And the territory's already been covered. I, I, for myself, I just prefer to, you know, try and forge something that I haven't heard before while, yeah, as you said, drawing influences from from all the, the greats of the past, but at least, you know, with a, an attempt of making something new. There'll be plenty of times when a riff will come up uh, and I'll show it to Luke and Luke will be like, oh, yeah, great, dude. Pretty cool, but it sounds a hell of a lot like Pearl Jam 10. I'll be like, oh, shit. Yeah, that does. that is like that. All right, we'll draft that one. You know, it's, it's just there's there's still musical territory to be charted. So, you know, why why try and sound like somebody else? And um, Joyce Wolf are definitely our our best friends as a band. And um, the moment we ever we heard them right from the start, we we're like blown away. We're like, holy shit, we're not we're not the only ones that are trying to do this right now. I mean, when we when we started, what was it five years ago almost now? Uh, in our little bedroom in Long Beach, we really 
felt like we were the only ones that was that were out there that were trying to create this kind of I don't know, I don't know, mixture of bluesy, grungy, hard rock with a new sort of flavor to it. And then little did we know until we finally had to see them by chance live. I think it was at the Wayfair the first time and nobody's really into them. Me and Luke are out the very front of the stage rocking the fuck out to this band we'd never heard of because they were playing this banger-ass rock music that we loved. Little did we know, yeah, they're just down the street making the same kind of strides as we were while the only thing that was happening on the radio waves and popularity world was this very soft, uh, heartless indie rock at the time. You know, you mentioned, you know, your mission statement being about rock's future. Does it, does it bother you that there are a lot of rock fans out there, especially like the classic rock fans who almost refuse to listen to anything new, you know, because this, they have this idea that new rock music, as they say, sucks. Yeah, well, I, I think um, that it's a, ba- a bad thing from a rock musician standpoint um, into only looking at the past and, and counterfeiting the past. But at the same time, you gotta you gotta think Jay about um, what the audience wants, and I think that a hell of a lot of these guys, in a lot of circumstances, see that certain bands are gaining success via being carbon copies of a 70s sound or whatever whatever else is, is popping at the moment. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tough musical world, so if you can carve yourself out a niche where you can make a life out of it, you know, maybe maybe that's the that's reason why they're doing it is because that's what, what an audience wants right now. I mean, I followed a thing called um, the New Wave of Classic Rock on Facebook for a while. I actually just unfollowed it last night after giving whatever the person posted as the as a last chance. But every single time I'd put a little YouTube video that got posted there, it's just more and more the same. It's like these kind of uh, bad bad versions of of seventies bands. And yeah, I don't know. Not not a lot of new new territory to be covered there. As far as that goes, as far as explaining or, or describing what you guys are, how would you tell people what of limbo is? Like, how would you describe your sound to people? Um, it's always it's always a tough one. Um, I do I do try and tell people before any any sort of we sound like I say, well, we try and make every song sound a little bit different from each other. Unfortunately, it's all tied together with my voice, so we gotta can't stray away from my voice too much. That that has only as much diversity as it can can get. But uh, Luke gets as much diversity as possible in his guitar tones and our styles of riffs draw from as many pools as possible. But when it gets to the inevitable end of the conversation of who do you sound like, um, I usually say. Uh, if you imagine Alice in Chains without the heroin and you put more booze in instead, it's a little bit funner, it's a little bit more upbeat at times, and it's music that you can try and party to. At least the live sets that we do, we try and make it a bit more on the happy, fun, selling half of the bar kind of vibe. 
It's like the it's like the Alice in Chains with with the Van Halen fun. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. It's a fun of Van Halen and music with an Alan Ch- Alice in Chains sensibility. That's that's good. I'll have to I'll have to keep that one in mind uh, for the future. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about the band history. You know, how did you guys form? Where did you guys come from? Okay, so me and my brother grew up in Melbourne, uh, in Australia, and um, we got an American mom, so we both got American accents, so we both grew up in Australia getting teased for, <laughs> for our American accents by the Aussies. And uh, when, uh, when we were both of age, we moved uh, out to California together. Well, I, I was out here first, actually, and then Luke went to Berkeley School of Music for a little while, and he uh, did all musicians to go to Berkeley do and he dropped out to actually make music instead of learn it. So we started making music. We were real proud of what we were doing in our little bedroom in Belmont Shore Long Beach together. And uh, as things started forming, we started recording in our little bedroom. We realized if we are going to make a go of this, we needed an actual band. And uh, we had a couple other friends join, uh, Herbie and Anthony Aguilar, and that was the first incarnation for a few years. We we went ahead with that, and as time went on, um, you know, things things change in life, and uh, we had another drummer come in, uh, Juan Paz, and uh, then times changed again, and just recently, we have our new and what we believe will be the final lineup for of Limbo, which is me, Jake Davies, my little brother, Luke Davies, on guitar, and... Uh, Mr. Bear Wolf Rob Gravely on the bass guitar and backup vocals, and our good buddy from Iowa, Mr. Christopher Bug Bristol on the drums, who is a child prodigy, basically. He was uh, opening up for Saliva and Drowning Pool and all these massive bands in Iowa when he was just 13 years old. He was opening up for them as like a solo drummer. So he's uh, got, got the chops, and it's a real real nice addition to the band and uh, we're charging forward with uh, with a brand new era now with this, this new EP we're about to release called Nothing But Now which is after the title track Nothing But Now which has been released everywhere all over Spotify and everything and I'm just finishing up a video edit of that right now and then moving on to the next little single which we're not sure is going to be what yet but one of the other three songs is on it that we recorded at Barefoot uh, late last year when you guys moved from Australia, was it for the purpose of making music? Well, um, I moved from Australia because, well, I mean, no, I moved from Australia anyway. Um, it, let's say it was because my little brother definitely moved when he gradu- graduated high school from Australia to America to make music, at least to study music at Berkeley and Boston. And uh, then he moved in with me in Long Beach for one summer in between uh, semesters at, at Berkeley, and we were just making so much music we couldn't record it fast enough, having such a fucking good time. It was getting drunk and seeing what riffs came out the next morning. We'd listen back because we didn't remember what happened the night before. We were like, holy shit, that's good. So it just kept pouring out of us, and at the time, like I said, we didn't know that Joyce Wolf was doing what they were doing, we thought, holy crap, we're like the only people making this kind of rock music right now. And if we want this kind of rock music and nobody else is making it, there's got to be another, there's got to be a market for people who want it in the world because we're not the only ones in the entire world with this kind of taste. 
I'm going to have to watch if we know that fucking Wolf was down the street in Orange County doing the same kind of same kind of jam. But yeah, we moved moved out from Australia, and uh, it became the the mission statement of our lives to to make the music happen, whether anybody wanted it or not. We were loving it. When you started making music with your younger brother, was there a direction you guys were wanted to go in, or did it just evolve organically and naturally? I think, dude, because we, me and my brother, always grew up on the same stuff. I mean, he's, he's a lot younger than me, and I, I, uh, I would show him new bands, and I would feed him an album, and then he would just devour it, and he would just listen to it constantly. So. <laughs> We came from the same musical background as far as, uh, I, I hate to take credit for it, but I kind of formed his taste a little bit and that I kept giving him new and new music to, to check out. So what that really means is that we eventually evolved to having, uh, a unspoken similar taste in, in riff. And, uh, if, if we threw on a Metallica song, he had, <laughs> 10 Metallica songs and he put me in a loop and a blind test in two different rooms and asked us to write down what the best riff in each song was I would guarantee you we would agree with 9 out of 10 riffs so we just really came from a similar musical direction and as the riffs would come out of us we would both be like oh yeah that's a fucking sick one or yeah that's okay let's just throw it on the back burner and then the good ones would rise to the top, and we would just keep formulating around what that good one was and realize, oh, that's a great melody on that. Oh, that's a good lyric on that. Oh, this fits that vibe. That doesn't fit that vibe. And uh, the music just sort of manages to, yeah, as you said, form organically around the fact that we have a pretty similar taste and direction in our minds about what riffs fit together and what melodies fit together and what vibe is appropriate for what song. Now, when did the moment come after doing these riffs and having these late night drink fest where you guys are playing music and when did it, when did it say, Hey, you know, let's, let's put together a band. Let's get this out there. Let's, let's, let's play this for people. I would say that the, chronology of it was yeah get drunk make some riffs have fun jam into actually turning the riffs into songs into holy shit these songs are pretty fucking good and no one's making music like this right now and we really want music like this so there have to be other people that want music like this to Luke you can't go back to Berkeley uh, we've got to pursue this to him actually not going back to Berkeley and not resigning a lease and dropping out of the school to uh, us getting the song kind of demoed a little bit seriously. And then once they were demoed, that was like, all right, these are really as good as we thought they were in our heads and on our acoustic guitars. So we got to, we got to find a band. And, uh, our friend Monica brought over a little Herb Dog one time, and Herb Dog became the bassist, and then uh, Aguilar became the drummer, and we did about a month or so searching for a place we could live and play at the same time, because we knew that if we were going to make it work, we weren't going to be able to just do the the rental lockout 
everything all the time. You just don't have, there's not enough time to do all that. You know, it, it seems, I don't know, very weird to me to not have your space that you live in be your space that you can play music because you never know when the moment of inspiration is going to strike and you need to be able to fucking get that lightning in a bottle and press the record button or get the drummer over and jam it out or whatever the hell it may be. So we knew we needed to get a place and yeah, we, we found this place a little bit more on the edge of the hood of Long Beach uh, on 4th Street, Malamita kind of area. And yeah, there's definitely some crackheads walking around out front, but it means that we can blast our music at all hours of the night and the cops never come. So we started doing that for about month or so and once the song sounded good live then or what we thought at the time was good live <laughs> uh then we uh started booking ourselves shows and i think the first one we ever did was a famous spot called bp Oxes in long beach which is probably the first show that everybody gets in long beach and we, we brought only our intimate intimate friends and family i only just sit closest and closest because we didn't know if it was going to fall on its face or if it was going to work and it worked it worked really well the very first one we had a blast and then we moved on to booking a much bigger place which was uh, the gas lamp in Long Beach and not knowing anything about anything we got sucked into this deal where the guy's like alright you guys can have the place but you're going to have to guarantee getting this many people through the door and guarantee that the bar sells, I think he said, you have to guarantee the bar sells $3,000 of alcohol that night. And I said, okay, well, that's not going to be a problem with our friends. Anyway, we hit up everybody we knew. We packed the place, and I think I probably took care of about a quarter of that bar tab myself. Unfortunately, got way too drunk and didn't perform my best that night, which was a lesson to be learned. But we uh, definitely packed the place, and everybody had a lot of fun. And we ended up selling, I think, 4.5 grand of booze on a Wednesday night or whatever the hell it was at, at Gaslamp. So we we knew that we were onto something that was not only uh, a fun experience for us, and not only uh, a way for us to get the music out there, but also something that was going to be pretty commercially viable for venues to want to have us back again and again and again. Now, you have the new EP coming out, Nothing But Now, 2018, you guys released Nicotine. How has the evolution of your music, and how have you strived for that evolution since those days of recording those riffs to now? Honestly, um, music-wise, this is going to sound really weird to say, I don't think there's a huge evolution in the music, music music-wise, because... God, we're still about to record songs that we wrote back in our bedroom in Belmont Shore. But one thing there is a huge evolution of is the sonic quality of it. Um, the very first one was recorded with like a Yeti microphone, and I don't even know what we were using as input for our uh, guitars. I think it was like a, an Apogee duet or something crazy like that. So you can really hear that that first al- that first album that we um, have now pulled off the internet, um, the demo album was very much a home recording operation. And then the next evolution was 
was nicotine where we went to our, our friend's home studio, Keith Sorrell's, and he, he really uh, helped elevate the sound a hell of a lot by recording the instruments in a much more correct way. And then we decided we needed to step it up again, and we uh, had uh, Mike Pepe, who was our latest producer, uh, saw us play at the Viper Room. He was blown away. He said, um, I've got to get you guys in the studio and barefoot. We didn't know how we were going to make it work financially. And uh, he said, look, we've got to make it happen by hook or by crook. And uh, he managed to, to strike up a great deal with our manager and his manager. And uh, we got in there for a month and laid down the latest players DP, nothing but now, and uh, we're, we're very, very proud of, of how that one sounds, too. It's uh, definitely another further step up in uh, the sonic fidelity realm, that's for sure. But as far as music evolution, you know, it's like, I don't want to say we're, we're not evolving. I just want to say that we're, in many ways, uh, on the same path we were, it's like trying to trying to write as diverse a music as possible. And the the next album that'll come out after Nothing But Now will probably have a couple songs on it that we wrote back in our old little Belmont Shore apartment, as well as it may have a couple songs on it that will be of maybe last year or even written right now. You know, it's hard to say. Many people are claiming that rock and roll is dead. Rock and roll is never going to die. It's always going to be played. But the relevant status of rock and roll has become irrelevant. You look at, you know, the, the, the Super Bowl, you know, that's coming up in a couple of weeks. The, the, the advertisers wanting nothing to do with any rock act during the halftime show. You look at the Grammys with... I'm not even putting the Rock Awards on television. You look at Billboard magazine, and they rated the top 10 rock acts of the last decade, and they're not even rock acts. In 2020, as you guys emerge, what do you think is going to happen over the next 10 years for rock and roll? How do you see it continuing on with the bands that are all coming out now? Because whether they're like you or Joyous Wolf or some of the other bands that are coming up, where do you see rock and roll going to? Well, I mean, I think I gave all the guys that said this. Everything's cyclical, so rock, rock, rock never really dies. It sleeps, um, and I like to say, yeah, it, it's about to wake up with a fucking mean hangover and, and be angrier than ever before. Um, thing about it is, we're in a different world right now, and it's a kind of a weird gross world that I, I really don't like in a lot of ways. We're in this we're in this Instagram uh, feed reality now and Rock is going to have to <clears throat> embrace that reality a little bit as, as other music has, you know. The thing right now that I see that's that a sort of genre that would define this era if there was any sort of new genre and it's not me saying I like it, it's quite the opposite it's this sort of uh soundcloud rap not even talking about the mumble rapper guys that's part of it i guess but um something i see happening right now is this um there's a band called or a group called horror and uh another one called ghost name and it's kind of like aggressive 
mixture of punk and and rap, and it's very much not much like punk uh, was very much not about the music, and it was much more about the image and the energy and stuff. I think the same thing is happening with these guys. They're the music is, in my opinion, fucking terrible. It's, it's like anti-music. It doesn't even sound like music. It's just a bunch of really bad noise being jammed at the listener. But if you watch the crowds at these at these events, their concerts, they're going absolutely fucking bananas. And I think a part of it is that uh, these guys have embraced what the new audience uptake speed is. You know, it's not about so much crafting um, the perfect songs for an, a modern audience these days. It's about getting a shitload of volume of music out there. And that's something that we've always uh, struggled with, but we're going to try and embrace more and more. I think that in this new reality, uh, people have to, well, rock music especially, has to embrace volume of content we have to start pumping out songs and that means probably a hell of a lot more home studio work pumping out songs pumping out videos now the reality is there's no excuse to not be able to pump out a high volume and pump out a video now everybody's got an iphone and these damn iphones shoot video that looks amazing now so have a little bit of you know of an, an imagination and create your own videos and create your own music. And, you know, I mean, you got to, you're going to need studios to some extent because it's going to have to have a bit of sound quality. But I, I feel like that's, that's definitely the next thing that rock is going to have to embrace is pumping out a high volume the same way these fucking SoundCloud rappers do. Now you mentioned something that was really interesting uh, because I grew up in an era where bands took two, two and a half years to release a follow-up to the you know to the album they just released. Now, as you stated, you constantly have to pump out music because the attention span of the listener is so short. What's popular on Friday, by the following week, they'll be on to something different. How does that affect your creativity? How does that affect you? You know, of you know, putting out a song and, and, and having it organically happen. Whereas maybe sometimes now it has to be forced. You've got to sit down and actually write. How do you feel about that? Is that really, uh, does that affect your creativity? Okay. Well, with a band like with us and with uh, a band like Doris Wolf, I, I wouldn't say that it ever affects the creativity in the sense of, Oh, Oh shit. We have to sit down and write something. We don't have anything. I think that a band like us or a band like Doris Wolf is always playing catch up in that. I mean, I don't even know how many unrecorded songs we have right now. I don't know how many Joyce Wolf has, but we've got a shit Um So there's never going to be a, a moment of shit, we better get into a room and write the next album because we have nothing to put onto it. Um, what it's more going to be is embracing a method of, of getting it out there a hell of a lot quicker. And I do see more and more bands doing that. Um, I do see more and more, more and more bands that are learning how to embrace that. Um, one would be King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard from Australia. I heard they, they wrote and recorded five albums in one year. And I was like, 
holy shit, that's amazing. And then I thought about it, and I'm like, you know what? If I took a year off where I wasn't concentrating on trying to tour, I wasn't concentrating on uh, whatever the next big step management or the lawyer or whoever uh, trying to take us in is, I was just sit there and have unlimited access to a studio and pump out music, five albums, I could do that easily. I could probably do a hell of a lot more than that. So I'm uh, in, the, in the space right now where I'm grappling with uh, how we're going to tackle pumping out music, pumping out videos, and getting the national touring thing started. Because I know we've got a hell of a lot of fans that, that hit us up on Facebook and uh, they, they're all from a different places in America and they're all begging us to come out and play wherever their little, their little hometown is and we want to so desperately but we also want to at the same time get more and more music out so it's going to be this this juggling act like ever like never before and the other thing is you know I mean uh, until until you make it big like like Coldplay or whatever rock band you can think of maybe let's let's use Red Event as an example or uh, even Dirty Honey as an example these are guys that that have money behind them and when you have money behind you things get a lot easier because that means you don't have to waste time working. And uh, what Limbo is at the moment is we've, we do we do two jobs. We do our, our jobs that, that pay the money and keep a roof over our heads and uh, pay for us to get into the studio and pay for video equipment to shoot videos. And then we have our, our fun job, which is our passion, which is making the music, making the videos, uh, getting out there and, and trying to tour. So it's uh, a tough little, you know, a tough juggling act at all times, and it's also a, a strain on, on relationships, you know, girlfriends. Um, I call it the Jake's Pizza Pie. There's often not enough slices to go around, and inevitably uh, somebody feels like they're not getting fed, and uh, it's always a pull from every direction trying to keep all of these these mouths satisfied, but we're gonna we're gonna work out a new and better balance of it of it than ever before in 2020. And what it may mean is just recording shit a little bit faster than we did before, and, and not being quite so prissy with it. Because even though we're absolute perfectionists with how the music sounds, the audience probably doesn't understand the difference if. A snare is the way that I want it, or a snare is the way that we recorded it the fucking first time. So let's just pump it out a little bit more than being as, as uh, pedantic and pretty and controlling as we have been with the sound in the past. You know, 2020 is here. What are your plans for this year? Well, we absolutely want to tour as much as we can, and we're uh, putting our putting our lives in the hands of, of TKO, our booking agency, to make that happen. But uh, no matter no matter as as that happens or as it you know, whenever there is show time with, with Joyce Wolf, which I know we're gonna be touring with uh, quite a bit, um, whether we're down not doing that with them or we are, uh, we're gonna be releasing this nothing but now. Uh, EP that we recorded at Barefoot and we're going to make 
videos for every one of those songs, but we're also going to be recording more music and more music and more music and really embracing this, trying to crank it out and catch up with the insane back catalog of music that we have. Uh, one thing that, that I've noticed is, I mean, you, you, you understand what the concept of synchronicity is in the universe and the, the idea of maybe consciousness of, of humanity and, and the universe being a bit of a flow. I feel like sometimes if I leave an idea on the back burner too long, somebody else comes along, another band comes along and releases something that's very similar to that idea and they have a lot of success with it. And I fucking kick myself. And God damn it, I should have fucking put that out when I came up with the idea four years ago and wrote that song four years ago. And now I can't put that idea out because this other little dickhead band in England just did it. Um, so I need we need to really play catch up and get all of all of uh, all the stuff out, um, as well as as new songs that are playing for this minute. The new EP is nothing but now. I listened to the title track. I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it's a really cool tune. What can you tell us about the EP? Um, you know, prior to its, you know, prior to it coming out here in 2020. Okay, so um, yeah, we recorded at Barefoot Studios in Hollywood. First time we've ever done it, anything at a at a professional big boy studio. I mean, we had the stroke. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that, but we I just did. So we had the strokes, like, right next to us in, in Studio B while we are in Studio C. So it was a real, like, eye-opener. Holy shit. We're in the we're playing with the big boys in the proper studio now. We better get something out of this that sounds fucking sick. And we did. Mike Pepe uh, hit it out of the park. Um, we uh, are very proud of the four songs we did. The first song is, is nothing but now that, that a lot of people have heard it's on Spotify and there's a little YouTube lyric video kind of thing or whatever up there right now. Um, that one was, you know, it came to me sort of in a, a waking, waking dream state. Uh, I was thinking about that. There's some famous, uh, Asian philosopher that said, some, I'm paraphrasing horribly, but it was something about like, if you're thinking about the past, uh, you're living in regret. If you're thinking about the future, you have anxiety. But if you're living in the present, uh, you're at peace. And I thought about that, and then this line came to me, there's nothing but now. And then, I don't know, I was kept repeating, I thought I'm fucking, but fucking nothing but now. And then it sort of turned into that, and I, I wrote it down, I kept writing a bunch of stuff, and then I showed it to Luke, and it's the first time ever that a song sort of just spawned out of a line and we really just wrote the music all around the song. And half the music was really written on us in the studio um, as we were recording it. It was really not the kind of process we normally go through where we, we build it from the, the ground up around it. And it's like this riff, that riff, discussions. It was let, let it happen really quickly, and it did. And that's what came out of it. Another one that's on there is a song called Metal, which I would say is, above all other songs, it is me and Luke's baby. Um, when we first moved out uh, to America and people found out Luke was going to pursue music with his life and I was going to pursue music with my life as well, everybody around us, well, I won't say everybody because there's a lot of people that are supportive, 
but there are a lot of people that are not. Um, a lot of people want to tear you down for, I don't know, dreaming something that's a little bit outside of the box. And that's what the song metal is. It's, it's a real, it's a real fuck you to the people that wanted to tell us that we were wasting our time trying to pursue a dream of music that made us happy, you know? Um, success isn't, isn't measured in my opinion by how many, how, how much money you make, you know, it's about, it's about happiness. And no matter what, this was making music with my brother was what was making me happy at the time. And it's what's making me happy right now. And, uh, this song sort of came out of it in the very early days as we were thinking about all of the Australians that uh, Luke back somebody just graduated high school with that were really shitting on him for not going and following a, a law degree or going and being a doctor like they believed that he should. And we saw an interesting turn in them that was really the song's prophecy coming through. As as Limbo built and uh, we built an audience and it became real and the songs became real and they became good, <clears throat> uh, we saw a lot of these people that were tearing him down and tearing me down turning around and telling us they were supportive of us from the very start, which was complete bullshit. We knew exactly and remembered exactly who it was that was tearing us down from the start and really that's what that song metal is. There's a hell of a lot of uh, lines in it that are really about that. It's like your doubts didn't clone my flame. It was fuel, and my flame grew thanks to you. And that's really what it is. So to all of those that told me no, I told you so. So that's probably going to be the next one that we released from Nothing But Now. We shot a a beautiful video that's more not not your normal band video performing at the camera. We shot a a little storyline video. I'm excited to share that with the world. And then uh, the next two are Somebody Else, which is kind of about uh, how people, I don't know, I, I've, seen, I've seen this a lot in my life. Um, often a girl, a girl will be very happy with, with who you are when you first start dating and everything's uh, a big, big, happy, fun time. And then over time, the girl will kind of try to change you because, I don't know, I think that's, it just sounds crass to say, but I find that um, men often, their form of conquest is is sexual and it's numbers or whatever. But I, I think that women's form of conquest is often um, taming the beast, you know, and the funny thing about that is that if they do succeed in painting the beast and getting the guy to uh, not be as wild as he used to be and be whatever they want him to be, um, then often the woman gets bored because they've essentially neutered every wild aspect of the guy that they fell in love with in the first place. And then they get bored of this dude and then move on to the next conquest. So that's what that song, Somebody Else Kind of is about to me. It's about telling telling somebody that's trying to change you that, hey, you tell me that you're in love with me. Well, you're trying to change everything that you fucking loved about me. 
So if you do that, you're going to end up with somebody that you don't love in the first place. You didn't love in the first place. Um, and then the last song is uh, just a real, you know, it's an ode to loving women of all shapes and sizes, uh, colors and creeds. It's called My Kind of Girl. And, you know, it, it sounds a bit like a Motley Crue kind of idea, uh, you know. I don't know if it's done to Big Girls, 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 or Death Leopard. I'm not really too familiar with that genre of hair metal. But it is in that kind of world. Um, although it's not as crass as uh, being all about, you know, uh, women's tits and ass or whatever. It's just, it really is about just loving women of all shapes and sizes and saying that everybody's my kind of girl. You're all my kind of girl. I love you all. Well, of you all for different reasons and Luke had this this slick little almost like a Billy Squire kind of riff it just tickled my fancy so much when he played it for me and we're singing one of our song ideas matches that and, oh boom both came together it was actually Luke's song idea as well was my kind of girl he had, he had a song idea like years ago as just a concept and the two I I felt like married perfectly, so we started building the song around it, and then the bass came in with this something, something slap to it, and it all worked out. And that, if there's any song on the new album that is touching on more of a, a classic rock throwback, it would be that one. Um, I think that one will will uh, pick a lot of the uh, classic rock lovers fancy. I hope. Not very much thumbs up what the new the new EP sounds like. I'm looking forward to it. Tell everybody when the official releases. Um, that's a good question. I would I wish I had Luke here to uh, tell me that answer uh, as well. Um, what I'm going to tell you, I can't tell you, is that nothing but now video. I'm going to finish that. I'm putting a hard deadline on that uh, for next week, and it will be out before the end of January. That is for sure. And then I'm going to get some promotional stuff together for whatever the next single release will be. It's going to be either somebody else or metal. But we're also thinking about doing a little special offer where we sell only 100 uh, copies of the EP in its entirety, numbered, uh, hand-drawn on the copies that will be uh, sent out to those who buy them and, and simply cannot wait for the EP to be released on all streaming services and want it nothing but fucking now in their pockets right now. Um, we're going to put that out for people to buy in early February so that those that cannot wait can be satiated immediately. And can you tell us anything about the Joyous Wolf Tour when that's going to happen? Okay, so I, I'm, I'm hearing rumors that we're going to be doing a few shows in California in February, but I can't, uh, nail down, I can't nail down specifics on that until I get the, the hard go ahead from our shared booking agent, TKO. But then I'm told that there's going to be a bigger one across the country happening for a whole month. Um, I think that one's likely to happen in April, I'm being told, but uh, yeah, I, I can't. I can't give any more info than that because people are going to get disappointed if things don't happen. 
Well, I hope it ha- does happen, and I hope you guys do make a visit to Chicago because I'd love to see you and Joyce Wolf. Uh, the last time I know Joyce Wolf came around with Deep Purple, I couldn't make it. I had another commitment, but uh, hoping hoping that does happen because to see both of you guys in one night would be tremendous. I would love that. You know what? If, if we make it to Chicago, I really hope our uh, our friends in Chow can play with us too because they're another another phenomenal uh, uh, band that's in our little our little network of, of buddy bands. Um, Love, love that kid's voice. He sounds just like Lane Staley, but they're trying to do their own thing with it as well. Um, they're they're a great band that that your audience should check out from Chicago. Shout C H O U T. Oh I yeah, think they're from Joliet. Yeah, they're Is from. Is that correct? I'm not... Yeah, they're from Joliet. They're a great band. Um, hopefully, at some point, I will have them on the show as well. That's awesome. Well, uh, you definitely should do that. Um, the guys that just shot our nothing but now video. Uh, he's funnily enough, from Joliet as well. And uh, he told me that the locals call it the Joylet. <laughs> you know what? That is a perfect description of Joliet's. <laughs> <laughs> the Joylet, yeah. I, 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 I laughed my ass off. I said I wouldn't self-doubt that because I didn't know if uh, they had a lot of hometown love and uh, and patriotic pride for, for the Joylet, but now it's out there, I guess. The funny thing is, I think people from Joliet would agree with that, too, as well. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. <laughs> I haven't set my foot for that then. Well, Jake, it's been fun. It's been, you know, real. I do appreciate your, your candidness during the interview. Um, I looking, I'm looking forward to the new release here, Nothing But Now. Looking forward, hopefully, seeing you guys here locally and hopefully, you know, to build on your success that you guys are having. Thank you, Jed. It's nothing but fucking, but fucking nothing but now. Later, buddy. (laughs) All right, man. Thank you very much. Once again, this is Jay Scott. This is the New Music Spotlight, and we will talk again soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.